Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast for early stage web developers and the mentors, teachers, and communities that help them along the way. Hey, Pamela. Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Hi, thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So, um, I found you when I reached out on Polywork and asked for people that are interested in talking on this podcast when this podcast was still just an idea in my head. Um, now we've like released five episodes. Um, but your story was really interesting. Um, and I thought, yeah, I definitely need to get you on the podcast. Um, and then uh, we went like back and forth a little bit. And now eventually we've made it. So um, what I'd like to start off with is if you can tell us a bit about your journey, um, where did you start? Um, how did you get to where you are today? Um, yeah, so go as far back in history as you'd like. Sure. Well, I've always been uh, technologically inclined, if you want to call it that way, because uh, uh, I'm from the generation that when I was born, there was no computers. And then when I was a teenager, they there there was this big boom of computers, but uh, you could not get anything on the web unless you knew how to code because there were still, uh, it was still the time of the Angel Fire websites. So uh, I I got through there uh, when I was 14 and that sort of got me started uh, and got me to know what I was going to do with my life in general, because I was so interested in that part of the, of, of the new world. And uh, I actually, I went into engineering, of course, but I hadn't considered mentoring until late in my career, well, not in my career, but in my um, college education, you know, reaching out and, and needing uh, credits to graduate. They said it was easy to get credits if you taught uh, adults how to use computers. It was not easy at all <laughs> because you had I I had to explain a lot of terminology that I had given for granted. Like you could not tell these people click on the icon because you were speaking Japanese to them, and uh, it taught me patience and it taught me to look at things always from different points of view, not just my own. So that helped me a lot to uh, graduate, not just with my technical skills, but thinking about the people that I was interacting with, because the fact that someone doesn't know something doesn't make them stupid. It just makes them different to you with a different background, a very different background sometimes. And uh, I really enjoyed that part, like helping people, because uh, going, actually going into into work, I found out that's not the case. We, <laughs> a lot of people don't want to help you, just want to advance their own careers. And uh, that I think that's a very important thing for everyone to consider when they start any career, like yeah. helping around you. No, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, so I know that you've been involved with a whole bunch of... Um, let's say community um, building and community involvement, especially with um, female coders. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, some of these initiatives that you've started, um, joined, and are currently involved with? 
Sure. Uh, I it was it started a bit personally for me because a lot of people tried to dissuade me from studying engineering. Like a lot of people around me were like, "But it's for men." And at the time, I didn't find it offensive or anything. I was genuinely scared about it. But my parents were very supportive. That's why I still went into engineering. But I didn't think about that until I graduated. I, I mean, when I was studying, because I was one of two women in my, <laughs> in my generation of 30 people. But uh, after I graduated, it really started manifesting itself because in college, no one was really mean to me because of me being a woman. But after college, that, that's when the hard stuff actually started coming. And uh, I started uh, wondering how I could do something about it, like not change things per se, like because that's a difficult thing to do on the get-go, but actually helping people like me just not feel alone because me being the only one of two women in the in college started repeating itself in in all of my uh jobs afterwards like i was the only woman in the team i was the only woman in management and stuff like that and i was like i cannot be the only woman all around but we are all feeling that way so that's when i i had i was first invited to a uh, another event that had nothing to do with uh, women in tech specifically, but was organized by uh, the chapter of women who code in the in the state that invited me. And I was like, oh, this is a great idea. Like women who code, I'm going to join the one back home. I was, I thought there was one back home because my city was so much bigger than theirs, but there wasn't. And I was like, this is embarrassing. <laughs> We're one of the biggest cities in Mexico and we don't have what this little city in the uh, coast has. So I set, set to doing it myself because I had to correct that. And uh, that's how I started looking for women that were uh, interesting, interested in doing this because I couldn't, couldn't do it alone. And uh, that's how we started the community. And it's now been, I think, like seven years and it's grow and still growing even though I'm I moved out of Mexico, but I gave it to someone else and they are still going strong, which uh, I'm glad about because in the first two or three years, if me or my uh, my co-director just got out of it, it would have died. <laughs> but now it's it's so strong that it's it's self-standing and it's it's a good thing. And the main thing, we thought we were going to be teaching stuff, uh, new stuff to women, but the main thing was just giving visibility to the women that were actually working. Like they were all, they all had the same story. I'm, I'm the only one where I am, but I see that you are all the only ones. So we're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So, um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've heard about this. I, interestingly, I've spoken to some, a couple of people before, uh, in one of the other podcasts and, and they had a, very pleasant experience and i was surprised by that because it was also a female um because i've heard about this underrepresentation and about um t twitter for example being very toxic uh for women in tech and that kind of thing so um i'm not surprised by what you said but i am uh 
sad about it. Um, <laughs> do you, um, so I think I want to dig into that a little bit. So for one thing, um, and answer this in any order that, that you feel is appropriate. So for one thing, why do you think there was this idea that tech was mainly for men and not really meant for women? And then since since those days and with some of these initiatives that you've joined or started, um, do you feel that it's changed significantly? Uh, hmm. I think the uh, where this idea comes from has been a mystery for me for a long time, and I've been looking into the answer of that. And a lot of the recently surfaced history has told us a lot about that. Because if you go back in time, in history, you'll see that when computers started, it was such a repetitive uh, job, boring job, not, uh, not, not, a, not a job that would give you sta status. Uh, so it started off as being a woman's job. That's why the first coder was at a Lovelace and... Uh, so much of the history of computers is uh, represented by women, like that very famous movie that came out uh, of the women that were behind the, the moon launch. Uh, but as, as computers started gaining uh, traction in our everyday life, the, the jobs started becoming important. And this is, this is the, the important part. Like it's not only engineering, it's not only computing. If you look around all of the careers, even design, the most representative people are men. So once, once jobs become important, women start get being pushed back from them. And, uh, and this becomes more relevant in uh, third world countries because I think it's easier for you to talk to someone in the U.S., for example, that has a very positive experience because there's a lot of laws behind Harassment and, uh, you know, in general, being discriminate, discriminating to women. Yeah, but yeah. in my country, in Mexico, there are almost no laws that protect you for anything. So, uh, for example, I, I, when I was in Women Who Code, I talked to someone in, uh, in law about this because we wanted to sort of inform people of what they could do uh, if they were experiencing this. And this girl, uh, th this lawyer, uh, told us that there was there wasn't really that they anything that they could do in uh, in the courts on on the, just representing themselves as a labor uh, in the labor court. I don't know how to say. It, sorry. Yeah. No. no uh, I understand but, um, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, because for example, for harassment, they had to have, I believe it's what it was three months of evidence of this happening wow. for sexual harassment. So, uh, and we're like, wait, three months? Like, you first you have to endure that three months. Exactly, exactly. And second, yeah, and second, evidence. Like, the worst harassment you, you can face, you probably don't have evidence because not all of your peers are as stupid as to send you messages, like physical evidence of it. It's probably physical or it's probably verbal and you don't have any evidence of that happening, even though you have endured probably more than three months because you need that job and you cannot just outright quit. So she was, she told us that the best bet was to either go to um, human rights courts, which was very difficult to win, 
or to directly go to a CEO of the company and say, this is happening and I'm going to go public unless you help me get through it, like sort of threatening the company. And uh, I, I found it weird that that was the only defense that we had. Yeah, that's scary, right? I mean, if, if you're, um, I mean, you say it, the reason people would endure this is, is because they can't afford to lose the job. So you really, I don't know what the right words are, but you really need some confidence to walk up to the CEO and, and be threatening in, in that way. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's different ways you can approach this and be less threatening about it. But when it comes down to it, um, in order for anything to change, you do have at some point you have to make some kind of threat. I, I, I kind of see it almost in the same boat as um, I think it's still the case to some extent, but it's gotten better. But how accessibility on the web has always been addressed. Um, people didn't yeah. really talk about it's the right thing to do, or people talked to, didn't say but it helps other users. People always ran first to the thing. Oh, but do you remember the court case against Walmart and how much money they were? So, you know, it's always like this legal thing, how you had, to, and it's like, oh, really? Is that, that's what we've, humanity has come down <laughs> to, <laughs> if you want. That, that's what has to happen. Yeah, if you want anything like to just be normal, <laughs> then you have to kind of go to court about it and make a big, and also I guess it's financially straining, right? Also, it's not free. I mean, sure, you do get lawyers who are willing to do some of these things pro bono, but that's not everybody. So first of all, now you have to find the person who's willing to do it like that. Otherwise, you have to spend your money to take on somebody who then might lead to you losing your job and not winning the court case. So now you're two for naught. Um, so that is, that is really, really challenging. And, um, I wanted to leave this question for later, but I think it, it, it's makes sense to bring it up in this context, like for you, um, as a woman and as somebody in tech, what do you find, what do you think is the biggest problems in tech? Do you think it is this, um, or do you think there's a broader, uh, problem or is there two pro more than one problem? And this is only one of them. Yeah, I think this is only one of them. This is the one that is uh, gender focused, and, uh, and there, I'm sure there's a lot of other problems in uh, diversity, like sexual orientation, and in general. But I should not speak to that because I'm not involved. But uh, I think if we if we go to problems specifically with the tech industry, one thing that I've uh, learned, <laughs> sort of the hard way throughout the years, is that uh, you should never, and this goes with the mentoring part, you, sh you should never aspire to be the expert in anything because I think it's just not possible. Like you can be very good at something, but technology changes so fast that if you are expert in something, you're probably just sitting there and being condescending to people. That's, <laughs> that's, I, I found that a lot with people that call themselves, uh, experts like they're like everything should be should go through me but uh you should focus on on mentoring on teaching or helping just helping people around you because if you focus in just building your knowledge in this one thing that might not be useful tomorrow you're just you're just going over uh gloss, glossing over 
a lot of very important parts of working in tech, which I, I don't think uh, as much as we like to joke about us being introverts, I don't think tech is that uh, selfish of a job. Like you cannot really isolate yourself, even working remotely. You have to always work in a team because you can't do everything. <laughs> There's so much to do in just one single project. That is very true. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I don't know how much you've you've thought about this, but I'm assuming you did quite a bit um, as you are so involved in all of these different causes. Um, so with with these problems that, that we now acknowledge openly here in this podcast, at least, um, what can we do to make this better? I think the 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 base it goes down to something very basic, uh, which is that you uh, you get what you put out into the world. Uh, a lot of people don't think about what they would have wanted when they started uh, their careers. So I think I see in not only in tech in a lot of careers. My my sister is a doctor and she sees that a lot. Uh, that if you went through a very hard time when you started then you're like, I'm going to make this guy, this new guy, go through a very hard time as well because that, that's what's going to shape him. And that's, that's just not true. Like, let's break those kind of toxic environments. And yeah, probably no one helped you when you started, but it would have been easier if someone had. Yeah, for sure. So what would you have liked to have when you started? give that to the people that starting that are starting now because that makes better teams and that makes them more confident in working with you that uh that's towards the new the new people but also always think uh when you when you find someone that is evidently more uh experienced and more intelligent than you think about it as a privilege not as a threat like you can learn so much from this person. Uh, there's there's people that I haven't reached uh, yet in my development. Like I I know I'm still not there. Like this person is so good at what they do, but I'm so glad that they're in my life because I have learned so much from them. And I think if you have a job where you're not, where you don't find someone like that, you probably need to move because you can't be the <laughs> the sole authority. You need to find people to learn from as well. Yeah, and to to that point, um, what role do you see open source play in this? Um, so, for one, um, with regards to uh, being more diverse and inclusive, but also to expose you to these people that are um, a step above you, because uh, within a company, like even in tech, there is this thing that like if you say you were at a company for three years, people are like, whoa, for three years, that's a long time. Whereas like in the in the olden days, we want to call it that, it was common to, to join a company after you left university and then be there until you're like 65 and then you would, you know, go on a uh, pension. Um in yeah. the tech world, that is that is like what? No, that's like you move every two years or something like that. <laughs> um, but I think for some people, it's easier than for others. Clearly, I mean, um, as some of the topics we touch on now. So I wonder uh, if you are not stuck, but <clears throat> if you are at a company and maybe you're happy at that company and you don't want to leave, but you have reached a, a 
certain level of seniority where um, like you're basically that senior this or the senior that of whichever team you're working on. Um, do you feel like open source can play a role there and in taking you out of your comfort zone and exposing you to people that are maybe in a higher, like they've more experience than you essentially. So you can again learn from them. Yes, of course. Uh, I think the role of open source has always been crucial in the development of uh, technology because there's so much work that goes into it just for everyone to learn more and to build up on it. And it brings you closer to a whole other community that you don't have access at work. And uh, it's definitely a way to look for different challenges outside of your job if you don't want to move. Because like you said, it's it's hard for people that want that really love a job and don't want to leave. And the culture of, well, it's been three years, I have to move. Uh, it's it's hard on those people. But yeah, it's starting your own thing is, is a very good way to deal with that. Because actually, when I was starting Women Who Code, I was in a, in a company that I was very comfortable with. So I wasn't thinking about my job as something unstable or something that I had to change. I was, I could go do my job and then get out of my job at five or six and fully devote myself to, to women who go, it's the best possible moment to, to go into something open source or in, into some, uh, volunteering work when you are very happy with your day job, because then that's not a, something you need to worry about after you leave. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I guess if you're also, if you're in a job where you're not happy and, um, I think by the time you leave, you're so drained. The last thing on your mind is, oh, I'm going to work on this open source thing now. Um, <laughs> yeah. You kind of just want to get on the couch and just turn on the TV and forget about everything. But And more yeah. so if you are doing interviews, because interviewing is like a second job <laughs> to be studying and doing other things. Yeah, that's, that's a good topic to bring up. Um, I've asked this of previous people. Um, and I, I wonder for you, how have you found the interview process? Um, for yourself or maybe for people you know? Uh, well, it, it has been hard on, on my little family and spe specifically my, uh, right now my husband has a, a job on Facebook, but he, he's so good at what he does. But it was so hard for him to get that kind of job because he's not very good. Well, he wasn't at the beginning. He's practicing now, now a lot more. He wasn't good at speaking English. <laughs> and then I think it's something that the interviewers don't really uh, value enough that uh, people need to learn a second language to actually uh, get into tech jobs now. And it's not so easy. Like people in the US or people in English speaking countries don't, don't value the learning of languages. Like they, they already know the one that is most used in tech. So that's that's not like a plus for them. And then in my case, uh, when I uh, when I came here to the U.S., uh, I'm not I wasn't in as technical as I was at the beginning of my career because I went a lot into mentoring and and management, and that sort of job doesn't is is not easy to get when you don't have a work visa. Oh, gotcha. And yeah, yeah like and. Most of my uh, my previous experience is not as valued here. It's it's a weird balance. Like 
it's it's been weird to get used to it and it's also very hard when you come from a context like like mine like in in the city where i was from because i was the director of women who code everyone knew who i was <laughs> it's yeah, so very yeah. it's so very different to be here and be nobody but uh it has been interesting an interesting challenge that's that i can tell you for sure mm -hmm. though it has given me a lot of more time to do uh volunteering jobs like uh the wheel project or keeping just uh with the with women who go at a distance which covid have, has made easier because now everyone went online even for volunteering stuff exactly um the wall project i had a quick look at it do you want to tell us a little bit more about that sure uh i met uh i met this uh, this woman when i was starting uh women who go uh, Elena Olascuaga, and she hadn't yet started this project, but she has always been very involved, not specifically with tech, but uh, with empowering women, because like I said before, uh, women are pushed backwards in all of the industries, not just tech. And she was baffled by the fact that even though there were a lot of projects that were initiated by women, these women would not speak up about being the like the main person behind them. A lot of these projects, they just existed and people didn't know that a woman was behind them. Yeah. Sometimes because they, because women are taught to be more demure and that you, it's not nice for you to go around and say, I did this and I did that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that's why they were invisible. And she, she did a lot, uh, whole documentary about this. And then she started getting involved more in, t in the tech side because well, the, those jobs are getting a lot of importance in our lives now. <clears throat> and that's how she started this Will project, because there's a lot of women that go into science careers, but drop out at the middle. So this, the, the objective of this program was to pair you with someone that was studying so that they could see someone that already went through it and that could tell you that it was possible and just hear you out and... Uh, Hear, hear your concerns about the, the industry and yeah, basically just sort of cheer you on while you were studying. And it was a very interesting uh, point of view because it's, it wasn't necessarily someone that was in your specific career, yeah. but it was still science and tech and uh, you shared a lot of the common worries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it sounds like felt like a really, really good initiative. I'm yeah, I was glad to read about it. Um, that brings me to a point that's that's a little more um, uh, positive or happy. <laughs> what do you <laughs> what do you enjoy about tech? What do you find interesting? What is though your passions? What do you like to do? Well, I especially enjoyed about tech that the fact that it, um, I feel like you you know that you're in the right career when you look around you and a lot of the people are just like you. Because I, I think that most of the people that are in tech now, like working in tech, when they were back in school, they were the weird kid. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but then you go into college and you're like, oh, there's more people like me. Even me that I was like just one woman and just one of two women and the rest were men. But they were very much like me. Like they... 
enjoyed the same things. They were very open about uh, speaking about what they liked. And uh, you find this very similar mindset. And just finding those teams is very rewarding. Like I've been talking a lot about the people that go over you and that just advance their careers, but I can actually count those people with my hand. Like they, they become like stones in your shoe. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, the rest of your team is always, always makes it rewarding. Like I have stayed in jobs that uh, I find hard to go to get through the day because of because my boss suddenly becomes one of these people that just want to step over you but the rest of my team is so good that i find find it hard to just leave the job because i have built something so great there and i that's what i find so rewarding of technology that you once you find your team you build a good team that that team is something you want to work with for as long as you can yeah yeah and uh, most of them share a lot of your same interests outside of work. And yeah, just in general, that's how you find your, like your, your tribe. I don't know, not status quo, but yeah, your tribe, <laughs> basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've definitely felt that as well. Um, and I think it's interesting. I listened to a, a talk the other day um, and the person talked about social media and uh like, um, I don't know if you know the person, Yaron Lanier. Uh, he talks quite a lot about, he's, he wrote the book about 10 reasons why you should delete your social media today. Um, <laughs> he talks a lot about, uh, he's involved in like artificial intelligence and uh, virtual reality. He's the father of virtual reality, um, but he is critical of social media. And the one thing that he, that he mentioned that he found particularly interesting is the fact that somehow GitHub is getting it right. Um, <clears throat> because GitHub, if you think about it, is a social network in a sense. But it's a social network where there's, a, like what he, what he mentions is, there's a sense of ownership and there's a sense of shared responsibility. And it's as if those two things is what's missing from all these other social networks. And that because you have this sense of ownership, this sense of shared responsibility with these things that you build, um, it drives out a lot, lot of the negativity and the toxicity that you find on a lot of social networks. I wonder what you, what you think about that take. Yeah, I, I understand that part because I think the that part about social media, any social media is that people feel sort of not responsible for what they are posting online, what they're telling you, what they are, how they are attacking you. And yeah, I've also wondered about the value in it. Of course, when I, when social media first came out, it was just like the shiny new thing. But uh, now that it's become what it's become, it does beg the question, <laughs> is it worth it? <laughs> Yeah, because even even though uh, I don't use it much for personal reasons, uh, but uh, a very good friend of mine and, and I have a, a podcast about books and just getting people to listen to that is very hard because you, can't, you have to put yourself, like really put yourself out there. And that's something that 
especially people in tech that <laughs> are not very good at. And uh, but it it takes a toll on your on on your mental health if you really get into it. So I do think there's a value in accountability, which most social uh, media do, doesn't doesn't make you face like the accountability of what you post. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, definitely. It it, it definitely creates the opposite. It it creates a, a veneer of perfection over over people's lives that that's pretentious and untrue. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that, and then they measure themselves against this unrealistic expectations. And then if they can't measure up, then they blame themselves for that instead of understanding that no the example that you're looking at is just unrealistic <laughs> it's simply not true um yeah i spoke to somebody the other day where i said this thing about um like he was talking about showing your weakness and how important that is um, for mentors for example because um oftentimes exactly this thing is being being put forth that people are do these amazing things and just one off to the other and you never see the things that don't work you never see the 20 times they try to make this thing and didn't get it right so for mentors it's important to show your vulnerabilities to show your your failures your um, weaknesses and i was like yeah that i i totally agree that that's very important and that that is definitely part of mentorship um the problem is even though people talk so much about failure and about failing and trying again, the context is always the, the people talking about that are the people that's already made it. The people's already running the billion dollar company or the million dollar company. And you don't often hear people who are still building their careers, um, building their knowledge, talk about the same things for them. I think the message is different. The message is hide your failures, hide your weaknesses. Yes, and that's that's part of like sort of what's come to the real world of the social media, I think. Uh, but it's, it's easy to forget that when you're trying to help someone, that you, you're being a mentor to someone, you need to also talk about your background. Like, yes, you made a mistake right now, and I know it's a mistake because I've made it before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went through this and something similar happened. So let me tell you so that you don't need to go through it again. But uh, it's it's very important to to be humble about the way that you learn the things. Like I didn't, I wasn't born knowing that I should not have said what you just said right now. And uh, I I also had to navigate. But I'm glad that you don't have to navigate this alone. Like you said, sometimes it has more value coming from someone that hasn't, that's not Elon Musk, <laughs> basically. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, so touching on that point of people who are uh, insanely successful, um, has there been any people or moments or events in your life and it, you can you can have multiple. It doesn't just have to be one. You can talk about multiple of these that you feel has been pivotal or particularly impactful in your life up to now. Yeah, it it's probably gonna sound like really small things, like 
at the at the time I didn't see it as, as small, but now thinking back to it, it's probably a small thing. Like the first time I was in charge, for example, of a, of of a meeting out, uh, at a job uh, travel that we had to travel to somewhere else to see a client, and I was in charge of the meeting of sort of selling this new product, and. Uh, I was there with a senior architect, and he would just be there to advise me. He would not uh, participate in the meeting. So after we had this meeting, this whole day of, of meetings and presentations that I was a lead for, at the end of it, we were just having dinner somewhere, and he started just going over through over feedback for me. And I immediately got out uh, something to write on, and I started to take notes. And after he was done, he was like, I'm I'm sorry if I offended you. And I was like, what? <laughs> you were giving me feedback. He's like, yeah, but I, I've done the same thing for people before. And uh, sometimes I've made people cry or just really angry. And I was like, but you were not disrespectful. Like, you, you didn't say like, oh, you idiot, or something like that. He was really uh, uh, specific about what I had done that I, ha that I could improve on. And I realized that uh, not only was he good at taking feedback, but I was good at receiving it. And receiving feedback is a really hard thing to do. It is. I hadn't thought about that before. I, I, thought, uh, I thought back on myself like just 10 years before that moment. And, mm. I th and I thought, well, probably 10 years ago, I would have gotten mad that he, just, he didn't just say good job or something positive. But I was already experienced enough to know that it was valuable to listen to him. And that's, uh, that's something that stayed with me since then, uh, that you need not only to be good at giving feedback, but at receiving it. Yeah. Because receiving feedback al always can feel like they are attacking you when they are actually trying to help you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably one of the things that's tricky um, with open source. And I think that is why a lot of new people maybe um, are a little bit scared. I mean, that that's my experience from having spoken to a couple of um, people very new uh, to development is they really want to contribute to open source. But beyond the tools and all these things that they still don't know exactly how to use, it's more afraid of looking stupid, um, afraid of asking something that for them is not obvious, but they're scared the other person might think like, ugh, you're wasting my time. Why are you? Yeah. And that's where the social media mentality comes into play because a lot of people feel entitled to answer that way, to just be like, ah, that's a silly question. Or, uh, or the other way around, when you're the owner of the open source uh, project, there's a lot of people that are that actually think they're entitled to telling you, why didn't you do it this way? Like, this was the better way. And <laughs> it, it's, it's hard to navigate that sort of uh, mentality, but you need to take it one at a time, I think, and not lose sight of what, what's important, because there's always going to be people that that react that way also in feedback in in your job because there's always going to be someone that is going to give you the wrong feedback or just not know how to politely tell you the feedback like i 
and again, this is because I'm coming from the context of Mexico, but um, I once had uh, one uh, colleague that's now a very good friend of mine called me out to, to ask for feedback and I gave her, gave her feedback and she was like, well, this is not what I was expecting because the feedback that I got was that I didn't smile enough. <laughs> and I was, I was just so mad about that. Like, yes, there's feedback that every, everyone has feedback that we're not perfect about what we're doing, but we need to be very careful about what we choose to tell people when we're giving feedback. Do you have any tips for people around that? Like how to construct good feedback? Sure. Uh, I think it, it's probably something that sounds obvious, but it's not that obvious when you're putting it into, into practice. You need to always focus on their job performance because there's stuff that you want to probably say that you don't like about someone. There's always something that you're not going to like about someone, but that it's not important. <laughs> if, if this particular trait is affecting how they are uh, portraying their, their work, then go ahead. But it's very important to take it one step at a time. Like I had this coworker that, wa that would find it very hard to conceal his facial expressions. So whenever a client said something that he considered stupid, <laughs> it would show on his face, <laughs> which is something that you find really funny in a friend, but not in a colleague. <laughs> so I could, I had to be very careful on how I was going to tell him that because it's not like I don't like how your face looks. And yeah, yeah. You need to control your facial expressions more because you may be getting yourself into trouble with, uh, with the clients that way. Like, we know you, we know that's how you are. The client doesn't. And, uh, so if you're getting into something so personal, you need to be very specific about why that is affecting their job and not why you don't like it. So I, I have a question that I ask like mentors and teachers and stuff, but I'm going to change how I ask this one a little bit. Um, I would normally ask like, as a mentor or teacher, what advice do you have for people new to the industry? But I want to change it up a little bit. Um, and I'm thinking, why would you tell somebody, irrespective of background or gender or any of those things, just in general, why should somebody get into tech? Uh, hmm. First, I think the best reason for getting into tech, and that's this is something that... that uh, my parents and people that were trying to cheer me on when I was first starting to, uh, was first going to choose a career for college. They told it to me a lot of times. Going into an engineering, a tech career, doesn't mean you need to end up doing exactly what you studied because it opens your mind to so much. Like you can end up somewhere entirely different, but the fact that you have that base uh, study makes it easier. Like, for example, I really liked writing when I was in, in high school. And a lot of people told me that I, that I should go into that sort of career, like creative writing. Like why waste my time in science if I really was, if I was good at writing. And, uh, what people cheering me on told me was like, you will always be able to write 
if you go into tech. But if you go into writing, you will not be able to do tech because you did not go into math. You didn't take all of the, these other classes that, because it's more specific, it's science. And uh, writing is more, it's, it's easier to take on, on your own. And, uh, and I was able to, to continue writing and I, for a long time, I wrote articles to blog, for blogs and, and stuff. And, uh, I haven't dropped anything that I liked to do before tech, but I had, I would have probably dropped tech altogether if I had gone into any of other, of those other things. There's so many things one can talk about, um, about all these different, uh, challenges but also the joys of of being in tech i think for me one of the things that's really um enjoyable is solving problems um i think if you like to to take a if you don't like to constantly have to face problems and solve them then getting into the engineering tech industry is probably not for you because that is a constant and that is whether you're a designer or whether you're a coder um, or whether you're a blend of the two, that is constantly what you're doing is you're constantly solving problems, whether it is solving a user interface problem, whether you're solving a business problem or whether you're solving something really engineering, like how do we ensure that this system will scale if tomorrow a million people start visiting our website? Like how do we... How do we do we need a database? Um, and if we do, which is the appropriate one? Like constant there's constant problem solving. There's constantly taking a thing, unpacking it, breaking it down into pieces, and then putting it all back together again with a solution. And I think another thing that's a big part of being uh, a, being in tech and being a coder and working with others is planning. Um, and that that's hard. I mean, I find that extremely hard. I find it not so hard to plan. I find it hard to estimate. Um, and I th I know I'm not alone in that, <laughs> but it, but it's still a reality for me. Like after I don't know 15 years of doing this, I every sprint I would think that I'll get a certain thing done, and by the end of the sprint, I'm like, I guess I underestimated again. <laughs> yes, I think there's the. Uh the incorrect notion that you don't need creativity to be a coder. Oh, that's There's so much of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause they think, Oh, you're so such squares and you don't, you're not creative. There's so much creativity and planning that goes into actually having scalable code and uh, code that can be maintained by others and can grow that I think the fact that we are so behind uh, mathematics and diagrams and stuff that it might put people off and give them the wrong idea. But it not only needs a lot of creativity, but it also helps people that, because like I said before, most of us have this uh, profile that we're not good with people. But even if that's the, if, even if that's the case, Tech helps you be good with people, but it, because you need to understand them at a data level to actually build something that makes sense. So it makes you become better with people, even if you weren't at the beginning. That's something that I found really interesting because you start seeing everything as a problem to solve. And 
dealing with people is also that <laughs> at, at its basis. It is. It's yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I was thinking of something and it slipped my mind now. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably remember in a second. Um, <laughs> is, are there any like projects or um, side projects? big personal projects, um, something that has nothing to do with tech that you're particularly proud of and we'd like to share a bit more about? Well, if <laughs> that, I, I've always been proud of women who code, but that, that, that's entirely in tech. Uh, right now we're, uh, like I said, we were start, trying to start a, a podcast uh, about books because I'm also, like I said, I started off being pushed into writing because I was, I wrote a lot and I still read a, a whole lot. Like I have this literature part of my, of my personality that I just like analyzing, uh, whatever I read. And, uh, that's what we were starting, uh, me and another friend. And, uh, I think the main reason it's been hard is because it's entirely in Spanish and it, gains less traction if it's not in English, but we wanted to still make it in Spanish for our community because there's, there's also something that makes you a bit sad about that tendency of making everything in English. Like you want, you want to give something back in your own language. And that's why we have stuck to making it in Spanish and, uh, feeling more free that way. But uh, we're st we're a very small podcast, but I'm still very proud of all the work that we do of reading books and analyzing them and summarizing them and talking about how certain characters portray uh, things from our society today or in history. And uh, that's, like I said, is something I don't want to stop doing because it's very different from tech and uh, connects me to another artistic world yeah yeah that's very important to do that um i i used to <clears throat> before i got into tech i used to be a professional musician and um i kind of i've let that go for a while and um i i picked it up again um but then the other day i was listening to a podcast um of lex friedman and uh he also talked about how if you've been at a certain level with it doesn't matter what, uh, in my case, it's with a, a musical instrument and you then stop for a long period of time and you pick it up. It's literally painful. The emotional pain you go through yeah. of realizing how much you've lost and it's hard. It's, it's almost, no, not almost. It is harder than when you first started because when you first started, you had nothing to compare yourself against other other than other people. You can compare yourself against like a great guitarist, but that's cool. That's inspirational. But now you you compare yourself against who you used to be able to, how you used to be able to play. And that is really painful because you pick up this piece of music and you're like, okay, I'm going to try this. And you just cannot. It's just too difficult. Your hands doesn't want to do it. Your brain doesn't want to play along. And you kind of have all of these mixed emotions that happens in your, in your body. And you kind of just, just put it down because it's just too painful. So I do think that it's important to not let go of our hobbies, not let um, any one thing consume you entirely um, because balance is important in life. And um, 
you need you need different ways of giving um, expression to your emotions that that you that you feel. And I mean, some for some people, tech can fill all of those roles, and that's great. But I think if you if you do have other things, you shouldn't put them on on the side just because now you're in tech. So that's where all your attention should be, and all your free time should also be spent on side projects and stuff like that. I think if that is your thing and it works for you and it makes you happy, then great. But if there are other things that you're interested in, you should continue to pursue them. Yes, and it's it's very easy to get uh, sucked into that uh, that mentality because I think part of what social media has done is that it sort of portrays people in tech as always being consumed by tech. And you feel like you have to go that way. Like when I started, when I was fresh out of college, I had a blog and I was, that, that's what I was doing like 24-7, reading about tech and writing about tech and even outside of my job. And I stopped reading, I stopped drawing, which I also liked, which is why I understand your pain because I was very good at digital drawing. And when I picked it up again, I was so, so frustrated just looking back on what I had been able to do before. And uh, like I said, if, if you go that way of consuming yourself entirely in tech, it has to be because you want to, not because you feel like that's what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, Pamela, this was a really, really good uh, conversation. <laughs> it, it was it was so wide, but it it was it was really interesting, and I think it it will be a good one for people to listen to. Um, I probably had a different thing that I was going to ask you at the end, but I'm going to change that again because of something that you said. <laughs> As an avid reader and somebody who loves books, clearly, um, <laughs> what what is your three top three favorite books? Doesn't matter oh the language. Oh my gosh, that's doesn't matter the language. That is Just... so hard. That <laughs> it sort of changes with the with, with the years because, like, just to give you a perspective, this year I have read ninety three books. So wow, it's hard for me to just outright give you just three. <laughs> what like. is let's, let's rephrase uh, it? What is three <laughs> books you've recently read that has that has really had an impact on you? Yes, that's 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 easier to answer. Uh, there's this book because I also, apart from literature, I really like nonfiction. Uh, there's this book called No Man's Land that plays very well into what we were talking about right now, but more in the context of medicine and uh, and the First World War, how women were not even allowed to to study medicine, and then suddenly there were no men because they were all fighting and they needed women to to get into these roles and uh, how this was the first rise of women in professional medicine not confined to gynecology or or to pediatricians and it's a very very interesting read just not just because of that uh, breakthrough in professional uh, medicine for women but because of what happened afterwards that they were again pushed out all of their hospitals closed and uh, given to men, and how the the, the fight didn't end there. Uh, th that's one very good book, No Man's Land. Uh, for just general literature, there's this other book 
it's fiction. It's called The Invisible Life of Adi LaRue. <laughs> You're probably seeing a, 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 how I, I look for strong women characters, but I've, there's, it was a long time in my life where I didn't have access to that because yeah, yeah. everyone was a man. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize it until, until, until now. Uh, it's this woman that suddenly is granted immortality and how she navigates life that way, like fighting against this demon that gave him, gave her immortality. And she, he, he keeps telling her that he'll take it all away if she just surrenders, but she's so stubborn that she prefers to suffer through immortality than to say, okay, I give up. <laughs> and I, I relate to that so much. <laughs> uh, And then just uh, for anyone that has children, like I don't have uh, children, but I'm about to. <laughs> and uh, there's this very nice series of, book, of books called A Cat a Witch by uh, an African-American author. It's uh, a, a black girl from Nigeria who has albinism and has always had this uh, identity crisis because they called her the white girl, but she's not technically white. Uh, she has albinism and then she discovers that her that her uh, disadvantage actually in another world gives her magical powers oh, wow. and it's the same for her friends that one has dyslexia and that means he's very good at spells in this other world like I found it very uplifting that the fact that they have dyslexia or ADHD or albinism makes them better somewhere else so if you have kids that are suffering through that These are very good books for that. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I think that ties into reality, right? I think a lot of people, yeah. um, sometimes a, um, I don't want to say disability, a, a, uh, I don't know, something that makes you disadvantaged maybe in one area can actually be a strength somewhere else. And it, it, I think it talks about this, it, it leads to this idea of there's, there is something for all of us in this world. It's just yeah. finding that tribe, like what you talked about, finding that tribe, finding that, that passion, finding that field that, that just makes you happy. And I think then all these other things that goes around it being albit, an albit, uh, having albinism or being ADHD or any of these things, they can actually become strengths um, when you don't, also sometimes when you don't see them as disadvantages. Because I think oftentimes yeah. we see things as disadvantages and we, we kind of break ourselves down. Um, and sometimes we have to ask the question of, but what does this give me, how does this give me a unique perspective on life that somebody who doesn't have to deal with this thing um, doesn't have? And what about that can I use to give myself an advantage in life? It's like looking at your disadvantages and asking yourself, what has that taught me about life and how can I use those lessons to have an advantage over somebody that didn't have that challenge? I think you kind of hinted at that in the beginning as well with um, a lot of this, especially you having like a really hard time coming up as an engineer and in the engineering and science field in Mexico, in a third world country, whereas 
if you speak to some media in the US, they might have a completely different experience because there's a bigger support system. There's more, it's more visible. Um, other people that is similar to you. And I think these books that you also find um, so that you feel so close to, I think they, they're filling a void that's been there before where there wasn't this representation of these strong females that has taken on the world, taken on a demon and, and one. Um, so yeah, I think it's really, really interesting. Um, I can keep talking and talking and talking, but I, at some point, I guess we have to stop. So thanks so much for joining Pamela. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, all of the best with everything you do. Um, thanks so much for all the things you do. I think it's really, really important work. And, um, I hope that this small little podcast that I run uh, gives you a bit of a, um, makes people a little bit more aware of the stuff you do and um, gets you a little bit more recognition and helps other people join in. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It was a great conversation. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mycelium Network Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep making the web awesome.